the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us on this beautiful Thursday afternoon. How are you today, man? Tired. Does my voice sound tired? I'm so tired. You also sound defeated right now. (laughs) Yeah, my energy has been defeated. We haven't updated in a while. Are your kids, uh, I should say, are your youngest sleeping better? Is that getting more normal? I know there are, there are some tummy issues. How's that going? Yeah, he's starting to. We took him to a, a chiropractor last week, and, you know, my brother's a chiropractor. I actually am a, mm-hmm. a big believer. He, he seems to be doing uh, a little better. My wife thinks he's really rounded a corner. The oldest now is waking up more in the middle of the night for some reason, totally panicked. Like, it's a very strange, oh, not, not just like the weird fussy, but like, Yep. <laughs> like he saw a ghost. Like, what is happening? So, you know, we're managing some of that. But, uh, yeah, I think in general, the other bummer, though, is I sleep way harder than my wife does. <laughs> bummer I'm for like, her. <laughs> yeah, like, sweetie, you gotta, you know, she, hey, she's a rock star, though. She's she's doing awesome. Yep. So, yeah, she's like took him to a, a butterfly thing today and a water park thing yesterday. She's she's crushing it. I do always say, my, my, when my wife and when our kids were little in the summertime and I'd hear of all the cool things they were doing and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, Sitting in the church right now, and reading, man, answering um, emails. Just want to go see butterflies. <laughs> <laughs> I say that just in general. I just want butterflies. Just, she's like, "What are you talking about? <laughs> right. I don't know." <laughs> butterflies. It's a metaphor, honey. <laughs> it's a metaphor for not wanting to be in my office right now. Oh <laughs> uh, well, we are glad you're here with us. Uh, last night on ESPN. Uh, so the day after the Major League Baseball All Star Game is affectionately called. Uh, the worst sports day of the year because uh-huh. there's no baseball, right? There is obviously no basketball, no football, no hockey, no nothing, right? Mwah, and so uh, ESPN, uh, probably 10 or 15 years ago, decided, wow, we could do something in there. I think it was 20 years ago now. We could make some money. Exactly. So they started <laughs> a completely fake uh, show called the ESPYs. And it is always the day after the Major League All-Star game when there's no other sport. So that took place last night. And it's, you know, it's artificial. It's fun. But also, they they also do a really cool thing. They're raising lots of money for cancer research. And it all started way back when Jim Valvano gave his unbelievable speech only months before he died of cancer. Uh, about, you remember, uh, don't give up, don't ever give uh-huh. up. Yep. If you've never heard the Jim Valvano speech at the ESPYs back in the mid to late 90s, you you need to take the time to go to the Internet and listen to it. It is unbelievable. It's fantastic. And so every year they give out the Jimmy V Award for Perseverance. And last night they gave it to a man by the name of Rob Mendez. Uh, and Rob Mendez, I'd never heard of him. And this is why these kind of shows are awesome, because you can start to learn these stories. Rob Mendez was born without arms and without legs. And so you see him last night and he's obviously in a wheelchair, just no arms and no legs. But 
he gave one of the most inspirational speeches uh, I've heard in a while. So we're going to listen to a minute and a half of this. And as you're listening to this, he's a football coach now. I want you to remember that he has no arms and no legs and listen to what he has to say. But the reality is I am here. And if there's any message I want to give you guys tonight, it's to look at me and see how much passion I put into coaching and how far it's gotten me. When you dedicate yourself to something and open your mind to different possibilities and focus on what you can do instead of what you can't do, you really can go places in this world. Realizing I couldn't play football, but I could coach football. That was the way for me to never give up from the words of Jimmy V. That was my way of focusing on what I can do. Let me tell you, best part of coaching for me is seeing someone's potential and making them realize what's possible. So for anyone out there not sure if they can do something, it could be in sports, it could be in your job, it can be in your life, whatever it is, I'm here to tell you that you can do it. You've got to be passionate. You've got to work at it. But it can happen. And I'm not done yet. I've made it this far. Who says I can't go further? That's my message tonight. Who says I can't? Nobody. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's how I'm now going to end every sermon now. <laughs> you should end the show like that today. Yeah. That'd be awesome. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> that would be awesome. But man, uh, how inspirational was that? A guy who is now coaching football and he has no arms and no legs. He has every reason to have... Uh, looked for pity and given up. And that speech in front of some of the most successful athletes, at least in the world, they all stood through the whole thing. I don't know if you saw this. They just mm-hmm. stood through the whole thing and yep. gave him the biggest ovation. Uh, man, how just so inspiring. So inspiring. Well, and I think it's it's interesting to me why, like I saw Nick, what, what was his last name? Vucevic. Vucevic. Yeah, Vucevic, yep. the Australian guy who was also born without arms or legs and uh he actually came to Judson to speak a couple years ago and uh I I couldn't fight back the tears really? not even necessarily because the speech was so good but it was the same kind of sentiment like I had every reason throwing the towel to say we're done to you know to to pack it up whatever it was like it, it his and now he's got a you know a wife and a kids and, yeah, that's crazy and and for Nick he you know he couches it in a very uh gospel centered um type of framework, but both of them are sort of talking about the need more so than ever for perseverance to be a value when it's so easy to cut and run, whether it's our jobs or our marriages or relationships or, you know, whatever, be be the people that persevere. And I just think, I don't know that that won't ever be a timely message, but for some reason seeing somebody who had every reason to give up and more obstacles than I'll ever actually know of, there's something endlessly inspirational about that for me. And when it comes to perseverance, uh, there's all we always have reasons to quit. We always have reasons to not persevere. But when you watch guys like that, like Rob Mendez last night, you're like, okay, no, you have reasons not to persevere. <laughs> like, yeah, right. A lot of mine are a lot more minor than that, and it does. It inspires you to go, okay, like if if that person can can like I don't know lead a successful life, not even just endure, but like have dreams and yeah. go after it and go over these obstacles. I mean, I can't imagine obstacles of no arms and no legs. Then the rest of us can look at that and really garner inspiration, even though that's not why they're doing it. He just wants to be a football coach and yeah, wants right. to inspire kids. 
Uh, but man, I watch that and I'm just like, okay, yeah, no, that's great perspective. So what does that actually do for you practically? Because you don't, you're, I mean, God willing, you'll never know what it feels like to not have arms and legs. And I imagine, you know, you're in your early forties now, so yep. you, you have a good sense of, I, I think your skill set, your giftedness and what you're not good at. How do you actually take a talk like that, a speech like that, a sermon like that? What does it do practically? Like what does it do to Brian Fromm's yep. Friday, Saturday, Sunday? Here, and I'm not, here and now. Yeah, it's a great question. I'm not sure how much it affects it would affect me in the long term. Like next week, I'm not going to be like, oh, my gosh, that guy with no arms and no legs. Yeah. Right. What I think it does in the moment is kind of fill you up. And you're like, OK, let, that, this helps center me. Give me some perspective. And it's almost like fuel in the gas tank now to go. Right. Mm. So it probably provides a lasting effect. Not like a week from now. Am I going? Oh, remember that Rob Mendez guy? I got to right. keep going. I got arms and legs. Right. right. But I got to keep going. So I, what about for you? Uh, I think the answer would probably be pretty similar, but I, I also think, so like part of your answer was that it gives you fuel Mm -hmm. to keep doing the stuff that, you know, is already in your life, but you're feeling beat down by. Mm -hmm. I think for me, it tends to make me dream bigger outside of like the current construct. Like this guy was handed a, he was handed, I imagine a roadmap that looked terrible in his opinion. He said, well, I'm I'm not doing that. I'm doing something different. I'm going to, I'm reaching for something higher or stronger, whatever it is. And I think that that is, I think sometimes an interesting thing to grapple with. How do we actually, Oh man, I believe that our marriages can be way better and that our churches can be healthier. And like, how do we not just maintain, but you know, take speeches like that and and allow them to, to drive us to, I don't know, to think with courage. Yeah. Uh, That's good. I'd encourage you. If you haven't seen the Rob Mendez speech last night from the SPs, go look it up on YouTube. Uh, or the Jim Valvano one from many years ago that kind of started this whole thing. Uh, highly inspirational and uh, would love to hear back from you. So coming up next, we teased it already. Huntley Brown going to be in for the rest of the hour. Uh, I would encourage you to stay with us. This is going to be a lot of fun. Huntley Brown going to join us in studio coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We're glad to have you joining us today. Well, Ian, every now and then, uh, we enjoy every segment that we do, right? Like, we just have to throw that out there. But every now and then, we get pretty excited about what we're about to do, there's right? A, there's a couple of stinkers in our past, for sure. <laughs> we enjoy it. most of them. I'll say most of them. How can you know what's good if there's not bad, right? But, <laughs> yeah, you know, true. that was deep. Very poetic. Uh, but every now and then, we, you and I, there's something on the calendar where we're like, all right, I'm super excited about yes, that. And today is that day. Today is that day. As for uh, the next, uh, I don't know, three segments or so, uh-huh. we are going to have the pleasure to be joined by Huntley Brown. Huntley, thank you so much for joining us today. It's an honor to be here, man. Good to be with you guys. Oh, thanks, Absolutely. Man. Well, a little bit of background. Huntley graduated from Judson University. Woo! There you go. <laughs> with a bachelor's degree in piano and from Northern Illinois University with a master's degree in piano performance. He's married to Annette. They've got four daughters in Aurora, and live in Aurora. And uh, Huntley is an author, a pianist, a minister, uh, and all sorts of other things. And so, Huntley, I guess I want to start all the way in your background. So uh, how give us a sense of the journey born in Jamaica. uh, And now you're here in Chicago uh, playing the piano and doing amazing concerts and amazing things. Walk us through that journey a little bit. You know, all I can say is God has a sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only way you can explain a Huntley Brown, you know. <laughs> like you mentioned, I grew up in Jamaica. I grew up in a poor family. 
but we had lots of Jesus. Mm. I mean, my parents made sure that we went to church. Sundays went to church on Wednesday or Thursdays, Friday and Saturday. So I got to know Christ early on. Mm. And um, when I was nine years old, I made a personal commitment, mm. you know, to follow Christ. And um, the question I had early on was, am I going to heaven or hell? Yeah, right. That was the one writing question I had. Everyone would come to church and say, am I going to heaven or hell? Yeah. So in, just before I got to high school, I saw a film called The Burning Hell. Mm-hmm. And oh. after seeing that film, I ran to the altar and I gave my heart to the Lord. And that night, I was truly transformed. Wow. Was it transformed. Um, the next day I got up, I felt something was different. Wow. And I knew my life had changed. And that's the first change. The second change happened. My parents decided they wanted a piano. Mm. We could not afford a piano in our home. Mm. But my mother believes that with God, all things are possible. Wow. <laughs> so we went by the school where some nuns were teaching a convent. And they had this old dilapidated, rat-infested, roach-infested <laughs> piano. <laughs> My mom decided to buy this piano. Of course. And they said to her, well, give us $50 for the piano. So she paid $50. We took the piano home, and that's how I started to play. No kidding. Wow. <laughs> Thank God that she did, right? Cause I, so I've heard you a number of times. I remember the first time I came to Judson. I think you actually played one of the very first chapels I was there. I remember thinking, who is this guy? Like, I just wanted, <laughs> I wanted to know your story. And you, so you gave us a couple of uh, kind of pointers from your life. And the thing that's standing out to me is that because you worked with the Billy Graham Association, yes. you've actually played a personal concert in Billy Graham's home. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Would you just tell us about that experience? That was truly one of the highlights of my life. Really? Mm. You know, Billy Graham truly was my earthly hero. Mm. I had a few heroes. And um, I was over in um, Ireland, Belfast, I think, many years ago. And I met Billy Graham's daughter, Ruth. Oh. And I said to Ruth, you know, Ruth, um, I love your parents. Hmm. I'd love to meet them one day. I was a part of the Graham Association for many years, but never met Dr. Graham at the time. Hmm. And Ruth said, well, let me see what I can do. <laughs> so she came back home and she called me. She said, well, are you free this weekend? Stop. I said, I kid you not. Wow. Yeah, well, no, no, a couple of weekends after that. I mean, oh, that's yeah. crazy. It was amazing. Wow. And so I got down there and I got there Friday. But when I got there Friday, um, um, Dr. Graham's driver said, do you want to see George Beverly Shea? Does it? Sure, yeah, of course, right. Georgie. Come on, yeah, I don't need to see Shay. No, I'm fine. <laughs> so we got there. I was only supposed to say hello, but we were there until maybe eleven o'clock at night. Oh my goodness! Playing wow. the piano, and then he said, "Here's what Doctor Graham and Mrs. Graham likes." Mm. So that was Friday night. Saturday, I got to see Doctor Mrs. Graham. No kidding. And when I got there, I mean, Doctor Graham, he kept asking me about me. Wow. And I kept saying, Dr. Graham, don't talk about me. <laughs> right, right. I want words of advice from you. Yes. You are my hero. Right. And, you know, he just, he makes everybody feel special. Yeah. Wow. And um, it was truly a highlight to play for him. In the beginning, they brought Mrs. Graham um, in her wheelchair before the piano. Mm. And she just gave me a request. Wow. And I just played her favorite hymns. And following that, Dr. Graham came in and we had the most amazing afternoon. And you were just playing from memory? Oh, you yes. Just, of course. Of Everything course. is from memory. Gosh. I was going to say, I'm looking even now at your piano, which we'll yeah. hear from a little bit later. You don't, I don't know that I've ever seen you use sheet music. No, never. I really that's don't. crazy. Oh, that's amazing. So you've kind of given your life uh, to playing the piano and giving, what is it that you love about playing the piano? What kind of sparked that in you from the beginning? You know, playing the piano is like worship. Mm-hmm. It's like something inside of me what, that want to give God back something he's given yeah. to me. I believe God gives everybody a gift at birth. Mm. What we do with this gift is what we give back to God. And so when I discovered God gave me the gift to play the piano, I decided to use this gift as a tool of worship. Wow. I just want to make God happy. Mm-hmm. So when I play the piano, I feel like I'm making the Lord happy. Yeah, yeah I love that. So one of the things that actually 
Brian and I, because we're both pastors, the topic that keeps coming up is how on earth do you balance like family and ministry? Because it feels like so often those lines get really blurred, and I know that you're traveling and you're writing and you have all these requests. How do you personally balance sort of ministry and family life stuff in the midst of all the chaos? That's a great question, mm-hmm. and I'll tell you what I do. Many years ago before I got married, I saw a program on television with George um, Benson, I think his name is, guitar, mm-hmm. famous guitarist. Yeah. And he was on tour, and he came home, and his wife asked him a question that mm. literally changed my life. Really? And the question was, the little daughter asked her, said to her, the little daughter said to her, Mommy, where does Daddy live? Oh, my God. Oh. Where does Daddy live? Heartbreaking. And when I heard that question, I said, Huntley Brown, you better figure out how you're going to balance family yes. with ministry. Yeah. And so what I did, I decided early on that um, my family came before my ministry. Mm-hmm. Many musicians will travel for three months and they're gone a long time. I never do that. Mm. The truth is I am home more than I'm gone. Wow. Mm-hmm. So I travel mainly weekends. If I'm going internationally, I'll go one week, then I'm right back home. Years ago, I would go to Korea for one week, come back come back home, then go to Korea again. Wow. I make sure that I'm home more than I'm gone. That's number one. Number two, I make sure my prayer life is more important than my musical skills. Oh, that's good. So I spend time in prayer, and yeah. I make sure as a family, we pray all the time together. Yes. And I make sure that my kids know that they are more important yes. than the music or the ministry. That's so good. Yeah. Uh, so like you, you know, when I was in college at Wheaton, uh, Huntley used to always, it was a tradition, it was always the chapel before before fall break. So all the kids oh, really? are excited to go on fall break. Yeah. And I don't know how the tradition started, but Huntley Brown came in every chapel before <laughs> fall break was Huntley Brown. So you knew it. All four years I was there. Hmm. And uh, you always brought the house down with, uh, I believe it was when the saints go marching in. was how <laughs> yes, you ended yes. every chapel. You remember? I well. still remember this. Like these chapels were. That's amazing. You go through three chapels a week and you're like, no, let's just be nice and say not all of them stick in your mind. <laughs> and, uh, but these right, do. Right, these yeah. do. These do. You know, Brad, I wish your foot is troubled that the first chapel I did at Wheaton, I thought I was in trouble. Here's what happened. <laughs> you have this wonderful Steinway Grand Piano. And I think I was playing the Lord's Prayer, and mm. there's a huge rumble. And in the middle of the song, I broke a string. Oh. <laughs> it was almost, it was so loud, it's almost like a gunshot <laughs> going up. Pow! I was going to say, I've never even heard that before. I know, it was amazing. <laughs> and I said, Huntley, they will never invite you back. <laughs> Afterwards, all the students lined up saying, man, it's a clean break. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I became like a legend at Wheaton. <laughs> <laughs> How does one even break a piano I don't string? Know, you play it hard. <laughs> you know, apparently, apparently. I, I have a black belt in the martial arts. True story. I do. Yeah, I, really I do. do. Yeah, I do. Yeah, true story. So it could have been maybe the martial arts strength. I don't know. That's awesome. Well, that's awesome. Well, thankfully, Huntley's going to stay with us. So we are going to continue on. And in fact, next, we have got to encourage you to stay with us because uh, we're going to talk a little bit more. But Huntley's brought... Uh, Brought his keyboard, his piano here, and he is going to play a song. And he told me it's six minutes long, and I cannot wait. (laughs) Uh, We are going to do that next with Huntley Brown here on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm, and we are uh, honored to be joined right now by Huntley Brown. Huntley is an author, a minister. He is a pianist. Uh, and he has crazy stories. So before you play for us, 
between uh, segments there, you were telling Ian and I about the time you were the featured artist at the Concert for Peace in Ireland, and we both looked at each other and said, uh, that needs to go on the radio. So <laughs> can you tell us a little bit of that story? Sure. You know, I was over in Coventry, England, many years ago with the Bittergram Association. And while there, I met um, Reverend Alan Mitchell from Ireland. And he mm. said, would you like to come to Ireland? I'm like, sure. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> yeah. I didn't believe he was serious, but he really was. So he wow. flew myself and my wife over. Wow. We got there, the whole tour. Then he called me back and he said, Huntley, I have an idea. Mm. I said, oh, what idea is this? <laughs> right. He said, well, I want to do a concert of peace featuring both sides. And I want you to be the featured artist. Wow. Mm. So I said, let me get this straight. You want to bring Northern Ireland <laughs> and the Republic of Ireland together under one roof yeah. and put little Jamaica me in the middle of all of this. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a TV show. right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I have to pray. But anyway, we did the first um, concert. It was an unbelievable success and it get getting bigger and bigger and wow. bigger. And we'll have the concerts at the waterfront hall, which is like the Carnegie hall. Wow. And the last one we did, um, because I was able to witness peace come to Ireland. Wow. I mean, it was a truly amazing story. But the last one we did, we had um, the Queen's Band from England, and we had the top Irish band on the same stage. Wow. And the media came and they said to us, what are you guys doing? This had not happened since 1927. Oh, my us. goodness. Wow. And we literally, I'm not saying we did it because, you know, you cannot take credit for what God did. Yeah. But we literally saw peace come to Ireland. Oh, what a powerful story. What That's a powerful amazing. story. That's incredible. Well, Huntley is going to play for us, which I uh, just sit back, man. We, they might take us off the air and just have him do this <laughs> two hours a day every day. Okay. Now. I'd be okay with that. And so uh, let's go ahead, and we are going to give the, uh, the pleasure to listen. This is Huntley Brown.
I mean, come, come on. Come on. Stop. I, I feel like I'm in the presence of greatness. I yeah. don't. I'm kind of speechless. The only question that keeps coming to my mind watching you play. I've never been this close, actually, by the way, just watching you play. It's something pretty powerful to be it a part is. of. What, what is going through your head and your heart when you play a song like that? Like, what's it like to be Huntley Brown playing something like that? Wow. That's a very good question. You know, it's all about worship of God. Mm. And there is something amazing about getting into his presence through worship. Mm. And when I realized God, God loves it when we praise him, I, I like to make God happy. I try. Yeah. <laughs> I disappoint him many times, yeah. <laughs> like all of us do. Same. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, when yeah. I think about how wonderful, how good, how great, how awesome he is, and when I start playing, it's almost like, to be honest, you almost become a different person. Yeah, sincerely. Right. And we talk about the anointing of the Holy Spirit. When I know what it's like to play when I'm anointed, like now, I can be awesome. And I know what it's play without it. Oh, wow. Mm. And when you're playing and you can sense the presence of the Lord, it's an amazing experience. I mean, it's almost wow. like, almost to a certain degree, out-of-body experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. I can almost see it in your eyes. Actually. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's a sense of yeah. realizing exactly what you're talking about. Well, on A, I'm excited we can take a break right now because I feel like I just need to catch my breath just from watching that. Yeah, I wish right. everybody could have been in here just to watch that. that. Uh, but thank you, Huntley. You get to stay for another segment. We get to talk <laughs> more and uh, talk about uh, also about a book that you uh, have written called Keys to Avoiding Deception, Keys for Living, uh, but also to still kind of unpack uh, all that we just saw right there. So yeah. thank you for that. That's coming up next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm, and we've had the pleasure to be joined uh, for most of the past hour by Huntley Brown. So Huntley, thank you for giving us so much of your time today. This is really fun. Uh, I'm still catching self- my breath. Selfishly, <laughs> we're going to say we need to do this again. Yes, okay. <laughs> any, anytime, anytime. Awesome. <laughs> you heard it, folks. He there said anytime. Yeah, it's a promise. Uh, so Huntley, you also, uh, besides touring and playing the piano, you somehow found time to write a book called Keys to Avoiding Deception. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit, why did you write a book? What's this book about? You know, um, a couple of years ago, I read a few verses in the Bible that literally scared me. Hmm. No, like I mentioned, I have a black belt in the martial arts. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Not too many things scared me, but these verses from Matthew seven twenty one to 23 yeah. literally scared me. They said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, right. but only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. The verses go on. On that day, many, when I saw the word many, I got concerned. It said, many will say to me, Lord, did not we do all these things in your name? Mm. And Jesus is going to say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Mm. After reading those verses, I got scared, and I had two questions. The first question was, who are these people? Yeah, yeah. Who is Jesus talking about? He's obviously talking about people in church on Sunday. Right. And the right. Second, second question I had was, what do I need to do to guard myself to make yeah. sure yeah. I never hear those words, depart from me, I never knew you? So I went on this journey, but I discovered the journey started earlier. After leaving Judson University, you know, I myself went to Judson. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's right. Went to Northern Illinois University. Mm. And when I got to NIU, they were asking me questions I couldn't answer. Mm. Questions like, how do you know there's a God? Mm. How do you know the Bible has not been tampered with? How do you know all roads do not lead to God? And at the time, I didn't have adequate answers for the questions. So I went on this journey and I had a meeting. Here's a true story. I had a meeting with myself. Mm. I sat down. I said, Huntley Brown, let's talk. Mm. <laughs> let's have a chat. Yes, have a chat. I said, Huntley, why do you believe what you believe? Yeah. 
And after examining my belief system, I discovered my belief system was not based on my own critical thinking, mm-hmm. but on what I learned from my past, my friends, and my parents, etc. So the question I had was, what if there are things they taught me that was wrong? Right. How would I know? We all know today how many worship leaders and pastors are walking away. Mm. And I, I want to address that as well if we have time. But when I discovered that, Huntley, you need to know why you believe what you believe, I went on my own journey. And going on my own journey, I had to discover God for myself. Mm. And so I said, Huntley Brown, what is deception? Deception is believing you are right when you are wrong mm. and you do not know it. Wow. That's what deception is. Believing you're right when you're wrong, you don't know it. Yeah. So I went on a journey to kind of solidify my own belief system. Yeah. No kidding. All right. So here's what I've been thinking listening to you talk. So piano playing is one form of artistry, right? Yes. Writing, authoring a book is a whole different form of artistry. You mentioned the black belt thing. It's literally called martial arts, That's right? Great. So yes. you're, you're an artist in the truest sense of the word. But I'm curious. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. What is it like shifting gears into different kinds of art forms? Because I imagine writing a book. Mm-hmm almost feels like flexing an entirely different muscle than like learning a song or writing a song. What, what's that artistic journey been like for you? Like kind of dipping a toe in so many different kinds of waters. You know, can I use a modern day uh, um, analogy? Yeah. Think of the movie, the matrix Yeah, <laughs> it's a movie where you go to the phone booth and they give you this download. Yeah. Right. I feel the same way about God. I believe that God has different gifts for different people. No, right. there are certain gifts that you get at birth where God gives you. But I believe if you go into God's presence and say, God, I want to reflect you, I want to represent you, mm. can you anoint me to do something beyond myself? Mm. And he'll anoint you to do different things that you would not be able to do normally. Yeah. Because people think of me just as a pianist, but I said, but God, I have something to say. I want to have an impact in the world. Will you right. anoint me to write? Oh, wow. Will you, you know, the scripture says, Proverbs 3, verse 6, in all thy ways, acknowledge him, he shall direct thy path. Yeah. So I make sure I kind of go into a serious time of prayer to say, God, here I am, use me. That's yeah. really good. Yeah. So I was just thinking of this when you were telling the stories about being over, you know, doing the concert of peace or at Billy Graham's house. Uh, just you must look back in amazement at the places you've gone. Right. And it's amazing. Is there is there like a bucket list item or two? Like I want to play there or I want to go there. Is that not how it works? I'd be curious what's on your bucket list. No, you are right about that. You know, sometimes I pinch myself. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I really do. There's a couple of countries I still want to go to. I haven't been to Australia yet. Oh, well, we I can make that happen. The common good's coming with, though. Oh, you, you, you got a deal. <laughs> I have not been to Australia, so I definitely want to go to Australia sometime. Yeah. And, um, you know, Let's see. That's a very good question. What is on the bucket list? Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> you know, we have had a quite a. God's been good. You've done a lot. Yes. Yeah. He's been good. So, do you have other projects that you're working on? I don't even yes. really know what your like calendar or workflow even looks like. Do you have something that you're like, yes, right now, this is the next project or the next baby that's really like kind of captured your attention? Yes, I have about uh, three or four different of things course. I'm working on right now. <laughs> I'm working on two new books, but here's an idea, and uh, you know. I am the artist in residence at Jersey University. Yeah. So oh. I, have a, I have a great idea. I want to talk to the Jamaican government about mm. uh, one set up a mobile music school system in which um, people around the world can type into Skype or some, or, you know, some other form of technology. Yeah. And you can sit right in your living room and impart that knowledge to them while they're overseas. Wow. So that I, sounds fantastic. I've been working on that and okay. you can implement that in Africa can implement it in the Caribbean, but I'm still working with all the details for that right now. That's amazing. And you mentioned a couple of things. So two books? Yes. The same time you're keeping somehow juggled in your brain? That's right. I mean, what are those about? You know, I'm doing a book on devotions. As a matter of fact, as uh, a family, uh, every single day I write, well, I should say every weekday, 
Mm. I read a devotion for my family. No kidding. If, wow. you're, if you're on Facebook, you can look on Facebook. I, I put, posted one today for everybody to see. Really? Yeah. But my, my daughter went to school. She's in college. She said, Dad, I cannot find a good devotion. That's what she was at the time mm. until my daughter wrote her book. So I decided as a family, I am going to do a devotions book for my kids every single day. No kidding. We, so I've been doing one for about the last two years. Wow. Well, now I feel guilty as a dad. I say you're, <laughs> you're such a better person than we are. Oh, I, need, no, oh, I, need, no. I need him to be dad in residence at my house. <laughs> Can I Skype in for that? Yeah. <laughs> How to be a good dad with only awesome. So you've told us so many different projects. You've got books. You've got, I'm sure, a touring. You're all over yes. the place. Uh, where can people go to find out how they can see you? Website, Facebook, yes. give us all the information so people can keep up with you. Just remember my name, Huntley Brown and put that org. So H-U-N-T-L-E-Y-B-R-O-W-N.org. Mm-hmm. And also we're on Facebook. We have two pages. You have the Huntley Brown Ministries page, just like, yes. or just type in Huntley Brown and you'll find me. That's you know? perfect. All right. With the, like the 30 seconds we have left, I would love to know, for anyone listening, whether they've known you or not, how, how can we be praying for you? Mm. You know, pray for me right now. We're in a season of, um, how should I describe it to you, challenges. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, my mother is fighting Alzheimer's right oh, now. I'm sorry. So sorry. And that has really been a heartache for all of our family. Yeah. yeah. But pray that the Lord will give us direction for this next season. Yeah, absolutely. Season. Absolutely. Well, Huntley, thank you. So this has been, I don't know if everyone else out there enjoyed it, but this has been super fun for Such us. Yeah. Uh, everything. And uh, we are grateful. We'll take you up on the offer to have you back in sometime. You're going to go Australia with you. We'll go Australia <laughs> with you. We joked off air. If you, you know, as I close, if you could take us out with a little chopsticks, maybe you know, like uh, <laughs> so inspiring. It's like, like asking Michael Jordan just to take layups. You know what I'm saying? So, so anyway, See, Huntley, he even made chopsticks cool. He did. He did. Well, you can find him at huntleybrown.org. Huntleybrown.org. Keep up on everything. Where you can yes. see him. Uh, where you can read them. Huntley, thank you again. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. This is The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. We're excited to have you joining us on this Tuesday afternoon. You can find us, as always, at Facebook, at, at the Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. You can text us at 68683. Uh, and you can find your podcast, uh, you can find our podcast, wherever it is you normally get your podcast, whether it be Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or any of those. Uh, go ahead, subscribe, rate, review, and uh, you can find old shows also at 1160hope.com. Well, as we get rolling here, man, we, uh, we've we talked often on this show, whether it be politically and culturally, or I know you preached about it a little bit, about uh, I think it was a couple weeks back about kindness and arguing. I could be wrong about that, but uh, but also interpersonally, like how do you argue well within a culture uh, that does not usually do this? We live in a culture that is um, that is just hyper uh, angry at the moment, and people, you know, they argue not to get to a solution, but to yell and be heard, and we can see this all over the place. And we're going to talk about an article that you 
you said has been getting passed around your social media a little bit, but uh, we do live in a culture that seems really angry, right? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem that hard to identify either. It's not no. just social media, which is an easy place to mine some of this stuff, but it's restaurants, it's the line of the grocery store. Like, it it does seem, and maybe this isn't new, maybe I'm just paying more attention to it, but it seems like there is um, a, a, a wearing down of some of the social like decency contracts that we yes. used to subscribe to as a culture. Yep. And, you know, part of the argument, I guess, could be like, oh, maybe we're being more honest about uh, our frustration and pain, which, you know, for I've certainly, I can see the benefit of that, but it, it feels like by and large, we're talking over each other. We are listening to respond, not listening to understand. We're just kind of, you know what I mean? Like it's, we talk a lot on the show about the danger of echo chambers and confirmation bias. And the, the irony of that is mm. you and I both have those. Yep. You know, so to to talk about it on a radio show, like, hey, be be mindful of these things. Like, we have to also be saying that to ourselves because we are professional talkers. So yeah. sometimes, don't you ever find that, like, you start a sentence, you're like, I don't even know where this sentence is going, but I have to keep saying word. Like, I don't, is that part of how you interact in person, too? Or is that, <laughs> like, I'm curious how you even interact with engaging with someone that you really disagree with. Like, is that something that you find that you're good at or... Or do you find that to be a little more stress-inducing? It's more stress-inducing. And also, you know, it's also when you disagree with somebody, it can be hard to even listen to them. But instead, you listen in order to refute what they're saying, right? Like, there's very little, um, hey, let me listen to what you say and consider it. But instead, we quickly get into these debates like are on the cable news channels all around us. We're just going to yell at each other. And yes. No, I'm right. Oftentimes, I know I'm in a bad spot if instead of listening to the person, I'm listening instead for the, where they take a breath so I can jump in. Yeah, totally. As opposed to like, let's actually try to figure something out. So, Well, I saw a bunch of people sharing this article, uh, so I thought we could talk about it. Yeah. It says, how to argue with kindness and care, four rules from philosopher Daniel Dennett. And uh, let me just read a little bit from the article, then we'll get to the four rules, and I want to kind of get your reaction to them. Uh, it says, making every effort to understand an opposing position will only help us better consider and present our own cases. Mm. If it doesn't succeed in changing our minds, though, that danger is always there. These are remedies for better, better social cohesion and less shouty polarization for deploying the artillery of our righteousness from behind the comfortable shield of the keyboard, as Maria mm. Popova writes, which is really a menace of reacting rather than responding, yelling or typing into the void rather than engaging in substantive, respectful discussion is also a terrible waste of our time, a distraction from much worthier pursuits. We can and should, argues Dennett, uh, uh, and he lists a bunch of philosophers, sorry, that are uh, also kind of on board here. Um, we should and can seek out positions we disagree with. In seeking out Ooh. and trying to understand their best possible versions, we stand to gain new knowledge and widen our appreciation. So here, here are the four, and uh, I just kind of want to get your reactions yep. from each of them. The first, it says, um, attempt to re-express your target's position so clearly, vividly, and fairly that your target says, yes. thanks, I wish I'd thought of putting it that way. Yeah, and that's that's normally how we talk about just listening in general, right? Like, State back to them what they've said to you. But in this in the span of an argument, that's unexpected. Like, hey, yeah, I'm right. actually listening to you. Here's what I hear you saying. And they go, oh, OK, wait, we're actually having a discussion that feels really disarming. And I think that's so that's a really helpful one to start with. Number two, list any points of agreement, especially if they are not matters of general or widespread agreement. Mm. So, again, a pretty counterintuitive posture when you're like, 
when the temperature is kind of getting cranked up and you can feel yourself getting hot behind the ears to, to mention what you agree on. Like we're not enemies here. Right. Like we can even, uh, we can even disagree, but yeah. it's not like this isn't speaking. We, we don't disagree about everything, even in this topic. So let's, here's where we agree, but here's where we fundamentally disagree. Totally. Number three, mention anything you have learned from your target. Mm. What do you think of that one? That's great, man. Like, again, a lot of this has this common theme of like, what it's like try to find the commonality try to put yourself on each other's team here even though you're disagreeing so hey you you know i haven't thought of that Let, yeah that's a good point like if you could say to somebody you disagree with that's a good point yeah. and and say back to them what they did man that's huge a lot all of these feel really disarming i think they're good and then number four only then are you permitted to say so much as a word of rebuttal or criticism <laughs> so it's sort of setting up like walk through these first three before you even get to the rebuttal or the criticism yeah and I guess it comes back to, are you having an argument to win or have you, are you having an argument to debate and, and come to a conclusion that you, and ha- under the posture of, I might not know everything in this. I might not have it all figured out. We can have this discussion. And so, uh, man, these are really good. Like, but I'm trying to picture on a cable news channel when they've got those multiple people in boxes, if they went, yeah, that's a great point. You know, like that's just not what we're used to seeing. Yeah. And so therefore we don't, we don't disagree with this way, but even take this down to marriage. Like what have you fought with your spouse this way? Just think about how much more life affirming that might be than maybe I'm just putting my cards on the table, my own marriage, but <laughs> yeah. think about how much more life affirming that would be to be like, okay, uh, I don't agree with you, but I hear what you're saying. Like, this is really helpful. So it, so it says after the list here, it says, here we have a strategy that pays dividends if undertaken in the right spirit by showing that we understand an opponent's position as well as they do, writes Dennett, and that we can participate in a shared ethos by finding points of agreement. We have earned the respect of a receptive audience. Alienating people will end an argument before it even begins when they turn their backs and walk away rather than subject themselves to obtuseness and yeah. abuse, which I think at the core is our goal. If if we feel passionately about a topic, the reason that we feel passionately about it is because we probably think everyone else should believe that way. But remembering that the other person also feels the same way about their position. Exactly. And it can get so easy to be sarcastic or obtuse or in some ways just downright negligent with their information. And I think what they're saying is if taken on by the right spirit, uh, if receptive audience is really the goal, this is the way to get there, which maybe raises a really important question. Do we even care about a receptive audience? Exactly. Or is it winning or losing? Yeah. Right. Is my actual goal uh, to win or lose an argument? And then unfortunately, unfortunately, that seems to be the way our culture is going. Win the argument, be the loudest, uh, beat down, beat down, beat down. Win at all costs. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. And we see that online, Facebook and other places. But we also see that interpersonally. And I think you and I would both say that that's pretty destructive and not helpful to move debate forward. Yeah, totally agree. Roy, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm, usually joined uh, each day by Ian Simpkins. But Ian is out for the rest of the week uh, enjoying some family time. So we hope he gets some rest, rejuvenation, good time with his wife. Uh, and his sons. Uh, so uh, I'm going to carry the, the show solo for the rest of this this afternoon. And uh, but would love your feedback. We'd love to hear your thoughts on things. You can do so at Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show. Uh, you can also do so by texting us at six, eight, six, eight, three. That's six, eight, six, eight, three. Type in CG followed by your comment. You can find our uh, podcast wherever it is you do podcasts, whether it be 
uh, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is that, that you get yours. Go ahead and um, uh, subscribe to that. Rate, review, tell your friends about it. There's a share button. You can share it with your friends. And uh, we appreciate all of you uh, who do that. You know, we just enjoy being together. One of the fun things of the summer is uh, is watching movies, going to see movies. So, John, uh, best movie you've seen this summer. I'm going to ask you because I'm going to preface this by saying I have not seen a movie this summer after having just said summer's a great time to see movies. But have you seen any movies? If so, best movie you've seen this summer? Best one so far I didn't expect to like at all. Oh. Uh, it was Toy Story 4. We're about to talk about that. Holy cow. In this article. It wasn't even a coincidence. That is the best movie I've seen because the only other movie I saw was Godzilla and that was horrid. I would like to go see Toy Story 4 with my kids. I've I've heard mixed reviews about it. Some people said it was awesome. Some people... It depends uh, we're like, on, well, like, Toy Story, it's time for it to be over. But um, It is now. And okay, you thought that Toy Story 3, oh, perfect ending. But like there were so many other questions that I didn't even know I had that uh, were totally answered in the fourth one. It's like, okay, this was totally necessary, and it was very well done. Oh, maybe I need to go see him. I yeah. like Toy Story 4. There's an interesting aside about Tom Hanks. He does Woody's voice through all mm-hmm. these. And the, he, t- he talked the other day about the emotion that he felt in voicing Woody for the last time. Mm-hmm. That it's like uh, was part of him. So uh, that was very interesting. But the reason I bring up movies is out of Christianity today. Uh, just uh, yesterday, I believe, or two days ago, an article came out called, uh, it says this, Boomers, take it from Woody or Iron Man. It's time to pass the torch. Brings up this really interesting concept through the movies. Uh, and the subtitle says, this summer's blockbusters showcase the importance of transferring wisdom between generations. And so this author by the name of Cutter Calloway, uh, Cutter Calloway is an associate professor of theology and culture at Fuller Theological Seminary and the co-director of Real Spirituality, uh, writes a lot on on film and other things. Uh, Cutter Calloway writes here that if you look at one kind of common theme going through some of the biggest movies of the summer, that it's very interesting that one of the themes becomes... Um, this passing down of wisdom or this mentorship idea, this passing of the torch from one generation to the next. Uh, and he runs through a couple of them. And I'm going to remind you, John, I just said I've not seen any of these, but but a little spoiler alert here. Uh, Avengers Endgame. Did you see Avengers Endgame? Oh, you bet. Yeah. Yeah, I still haven't seen it. It's all right. Um, I will spoil it for you because it's been too long. You should have seen it by now. But it says released a mere two months later, Spider-Man Far From Home. You've seen Spider-Man Far From Home? Yes, I have. Man, you're also seeing lots very of good. How old are you? 25? 25. Yeah, your prime movie time of life right there, man. <laughs> Is that so? Transferring knowledge. I'll there you go. That, yeah. Spider-Man, it says, picks up where Endgame left off. It takes place in a world traumatized by the events of the Avengers movie, uh, including... Uh, the death of Tony Stark. Is that Iron Man, right? That's yes, Iron Man? Yes, it is. And uh, But it says this. Uh, Thankfully, from the grave, Tony Stark comes to the rescue. Indeed, uh, it says Stark haunts every frame of Far From Home, and not simply because he sacrificed his life at the end for the sake of the universe. Instead, uh, not only does he intentionally cultivate a mentoring relationship with Peter Parker while he's alive, but he also strategically positions his own intellectual and material resources to help Spider-Man face an unknown future. And so Calloway writes this, in other words, mentorship doesn't happen by accident, not even with superheroes. And it certainly doesn't happen when each generation is pointing fingers over who's to blame for first societal issues. He then jumps into your favorite movie of the summer, Toy Story 4. What up? Uh, 
And it talks about how Woody, uh, he, he's kind of been the, the, the toy in charge, but now has trouble passing on to the next. And it says, for Bonnie and the toys he loves to have a chance to flourish, Woody, much like the boomers in the audience, must find a way to let go, to let the other toys step fully into their vocation and to have enough faith in them to know that when he does, it's going to be okay. And it's interesting. Calloway says there it seems to be this movement, this idea that that there is uh, an important step culturally where one generation hands the torch, passes the torch to the next generation. And he points out that's not just movies. That's not just societal. That's biblical. Uh, and he highlights Timothy uh, and Paul's relationship. It says Paul himself intentionally mentored, mentored Timothy. Paul was confident in Timothy's ability to lead his Christian community wisely, not because Timothy possessed some kind innate capacity for being and becoming wise on his own, but because the wisdom born by his Christian faith had been transmitted to him by his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice in Second Timothy chapter 1. Verse five. And so he walks this article through how Paul passes on to Timothy saying, don't let them look down on you uh, because you're young. And then he talks about Jesus's words about you don't pour new new wine into old wineskins. He says, if this summer slate of films doesn't convince you, then perhaps you'll heed the words of someone who knows a thing or two about pursuing wisdom in the midst of intergenerational crises. Quote, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and that's how he closes. And so it's this interesting thing. And I'm, I'm in a weird time in my life. I'm kind of in the middle. I'm 42. I deal with people uh, older than me and I deal with people younger than me. I'm kind of in that bridge generation right now, but this concept that, that we are to be, as we get older, one of our great tasks is to, uh, hand over, whether it be the church or the company or just the culture at large, to hand it to the next generation. But it presupposes something. It presupposes that we have been doing the work to prepare the next generation uh, to receive it, right? It, it presupposes, let's just, because this is what I, the world I live in, let's take the church. It presupposes that the church is doing things to build into the next generation so that they are listened to, they are heard, they are valued, and they are prepared uh, to own their faith when they hit a certain age. And not just a faith, but to lead the church and to lead the charge. And so the question for you out there, if you're a little older, is are you doing this? Are you doing this with your kids? Uh, are you doing this maybe with the high school kids in your church? Or are you just glad that they're in another room doing something else? Is there anyone that you're picking up? I love to tell this story, but I'll tell it again. Um, the the guy or two uh, outside of my parents and my family, the guy or two who mentored me uh, when I was in a very formative age, besides my youth pastor, uh, were, were people who from the outside didn't look qualified to do it. One of the guys just ran a company. And uh, for some reason, it took a liking to me in our church. And uh, we played softball next to each other on the church softball team. And he started for years just taking me out to breakfast and dinner. And I didn't know. He wasn't like, hey, let's start a mentoring relationship. He was just talking to me and asking me hard questions. And how am I doing? And I'm like, free meal. Cool. I come out from New Jersey. I go to Wheaton College. Well, coincidentally, his business would take him through Chicago on a regular basis. And every time he would have a layover in Chicago, he would call me 
to come meet him in the city for dinner. And he would continue this relationship. And then when I started dating Carrie, who is now my wife, he would say, bring her with you. And he would start asking the two of us hard questions. And that guy who I don't have much contact with anymore, that guy played such a a, a pivotal role in my life uh, formationally without telling me I'm playing a role in your life formationally. The church didn't say that's your mentor. But instead, he said, you know what? He had multiple kids. He had a, a hard job. But he said, you know what? I'm going to spend some time with this kid. I see something in him and I'm going to build into him. And in many ways, what this guy did uh, bore a lot of fruit once I got older. And so my question for us is, I love what this article says about passing the torch. We don't do that well as a culture. You want to know how I know? Who's leading all of the presidential elections on both sides? I don't know. 70-year-olds, uh, which is fine. But what's being done to pass the torch to the next generation? And I think that so many of our hesitant, uh, so many of us are hesitant to do that because we don't think the next generation is worthy of it. And that the 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 thing with the learning curve here is that the people in the generation in front are the ones who have to grow up the generation behind them and bring them up. Someday we'll have uh, Ian's coworker Dave Ferguson on. He wrote a fabulous book called Hero Maker. That the goal here is not to be the hero of the story, but to help other people become the hero. And uh, I think if we took that up in churches, uh, in culture and government, man, this would be a different place. So I'd encourage you to read that at Christianity Today, uh, talking about the movies, an interesting way to get at it. But just this concept of passing the torch to the next generation. What do you think about that? Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, The Common Good Radio Show. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, alongside Ian Simpkins. We're glad that you're joining us on this Tuesday. Hope that you had a good Memorial Day weekend, as we talked about in the first segment. Hopefully, it was also a time to ponder and to think and to reflect upon what that holiday is actually all about. And then every now and then, uh, one of the things that we often talk about on the show, you and I do, is uh, that it can become easy to become just American Christians. It can become easy to live in a bubble that just says, um, you know what, this is all that there is out there. And even we'll do stories about religious freedom and about uh, whether or not Christians in our country are facing persecution or uh, what? How to even define the pushback? And every now and then we got to pull back the curtain and kind of look more globally. Uh, and with that in mind, I read an article this week that really shook me and really shook me just by the headline. And the headline read that reads this Iraq's Christians, quote, close to extinction. Wow. Uh, the Archbishop of Erbil, if I'm saying that correctly, the capital of Iraqi Kurdistan, uh, basically came out this week and said uh, that Christianity in Iraq is just dwindling away. He says Christianity in Iraq, one of the oldest churches, if not the oldest church in the world, is perilously close to extinction. And listen to this phrase. Those of us who remain must be ready to face martyrdom. Wow. And I'm wondering, as you read that, what is your initial response? And then maybe spin it to what should the response be for those of us here on the, in the West, in America, who this isn't uh, our reality? Well, the, the first thing it makes me think, even hearing you read that, is that I've never sat in a pew and heard a pastor say anything even close to that to me. Yes. Ever. Not even close. I've never once heard a, uh, a college president, a pastor, 
a bishop, uh, anybody say, hey, um, if you're going to remain in this country, just just know, prepare for this. So yes. like that alone is sort of haunting just to realize the disparity between other Christians experience in the world and mine. And we talked a little bit last week, I think, about the, uh, you know, the persecution machine and mm-hmm. some, of the, some of the ways that we do sometimes tend to. I don't know, maybe make bigger cases out of what it looks like to be persecuted in the West, yep. particularly in the United States. Yep. Um, I'm not belitt- I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but there there is something really humbling about reading something like this in black and white and and kind of realizing again what I've all I mean, I've always known that our experience of the Christian faith across the globe is very, very diverse, mm-hmm. very, very different. And I mean, the first response I think should be obvious is to pray mm-hmm. right but how often even in our own we're pastors like we're, we're responsible for a lot of what happens on a Sunday morning right how often are we even dedicating real estate to pray for the global church mm-hmm. and not just in like a nice general sense but like people who are being martyred yeah. for the same faith we share right here in Downers Grove yep. and in Naperville you know like it it is so easy for that to become like an out of sight out of mind and then you watch a blurb on the news and you're like oh my gosh yep. that is horrific and so different from my experience you know how do you how do you live in this okay let's keep this in the forefront but not you can also get really weighed down by that too i think and i think that that can be unhelpful but maybe maybe we uh we run from things that weigh us down a little bit because it's it's not quite our experience we don't know what to do with it in our brain so i'm not i'm not sure there yeah and i'm not patting myself on the back but i literally read this to our congregation on sunday and we spent time praying that's awesome and it is awesome it's also literally the first time i've ever done it Mm -hmm. so when you say how often do we do it i'm like what (laughs) every nine years and you know these stories they can become overwhelming yes Uh, but as i said to our church on sunday i said you know what one of the things this reminds me of is like when we say iraqi christians what we are, you know, that can feel so distant and disconnected, but it's really Iraqi brothers and sisters. Like, yes, the, right. These are people we are going to be spending eternity with. These are people who are worshiping the same Lord and Savior. Like, these are, biblically speaking, brothers and sisters. And it does make me think, like, if my actual brother and sister was overseas facing stuff, yeah, I'd be like, right. whoa. Like, right. I'd, I'd be, you know, on my knees and this and that. And, and, you know, I get it. Like, my own life... Uh, the things that take up the vast majority of my mental space are the things that, you know, are my actual family, that my church. Uh, and then, you know, the rest gets filled with like maybe our country stuff mm. going on around here. It's hard to, th- you know, Iraq is the other side of the world. Right. Or their part, this article goes on to talk about the Middle East, and it says it's a mixed picture for Christians in 2019, that it's all not bad. There are things going around um that that are doing well over there. Um, but then it talks about Egypt and the Copts, C-O-P-T-S, uh, that they're facing an enormous amount of persecution right now. Their churches are being bombed and right. uh, the jihadists are attempting to drive them out of the northern Sinai. And, and so it's just you read this stuff. Like you said, it can become really overwhelming, but at the very least, it's got to drive us to prayer. Uh, and and just I think it's just as to we have to allow it to remind us that this is going on around the world. Yeah. I think that is, I mean, that is sort of a theme for today's show actually is the significance of remembering because mm-hmm. uh, our brains are predisposed to just jump on to the next thing. And um, I think there is good evidence to support that there is an important element that distraction plays that mm-hmm. I'm not saying you shouldn't ever 
just watch an episode of The Office just to like turn your brain <laughs> off. Like I'm not saying, hey, we need yeah. to live in grief and weep every single day. But the more that which you said, like this, you struggle with. Like, I totally I, do. Yeah. My my thing is forgetfulness. We've talked about. Like mm-hmm. I don't really. Mm. kind of read an article like this and move on yeah, and yours right. is kind of the opposite sometimes you can be so weighed down that yeah right. nothing nothing can seem nothing can seem good around you right and the irony is i think we both probably maybe struggle with forgetfulness mm-hmm. but like in the present just deal with tragedy and heartache in different ways and and neither are wrong necessarily yep. uh we need each other to balance that I, it's, I, it's why i think the community of believers is so important because it kind of helps center everybody but um, this is not, uh, shoot. They wouldn't let me pray at work or they took on the cross in the break room like this to me. And again, I'm not totally, uh, I guess I kind of am like we, we need to learn, I think proper categories yeah. and maybe it's new language is what we need. But this idea that like we, we hold up what's happening in Iraq and taking down of 10 commandments in front of a, and we, we call them both persecution. Right. I was like, can we agree though? Maybe same word, different dictionary is going on. <laughs> Maybe here. a like, new word needed. <laughs> right. Or yeah. like different levels. Like this is level one persecution. This is level five yeah. or I don't know. And again, it's not a competition obviously, but like people are literally by the thousands being slaughtered. And I wonder what that's like on the other end when they hear like American Christians being like, yeah, yeah we totally hear you, man. We're also being persecuted. Like, do they hear that over there thinking, I don't think you know quite what you're saying, yeah. actually. Like, I wonder what that's like to their yeah. ears and their sensibilities when they hear us talk about yeah, it. Yeah, I'm sure it would be frustrating. And You know, I don't think we need to feel guilty about having it good over here, no. about having freedom. And so, therefore, this should also drive us to thankfulness. Like, yeah. okay, I'm thankful, uh, but not thankfulness, and that then goes to forgetfulness. But thankfulness that we have the capabilities now to be praying for these people and to be uh, supporting, I don't know. I don't even know how to support these people, but mm. maybe begin to research. Are there ways that we can support? Are there things we can be doing with our government to force their hand? Whatever else it might be. But I would say the reason we bring this up is to say the answer can't be like, no, nah, other side of the world doesn't really matter. Right. Not not my problem. Exactly. And and I mean, for me, that's often the way. And so mm. when you hear things or read things like the Iraqi Christians are uh, those of us who remain must be ready to face martyrdom. Yeah. It's got to drive us to our knees. It's got to drive us to prayer uh, and, uh, and, and kind of wake us up a little bit. And uh, hopefully we've been able to do that a little bit for you. Yeah. I, and that's the thing, like ultimately, you know, and I'm all for improving legislation mm-hmm. and the Western church waking up, but ultimately we need the power of the Holy spirit. We need Correct. revival. We need breakthrough. We need, we need stuff to change in big ways because you know, it's not, it's not a walk in the park here either for a number of different reasons. Like what, what all of these things have in common is just human brokenness and darkness and no amount of like pontificating or radio shows or sermon. Exactly. None of that makes that go away. The Holy spirit is the power that redeems and restores and heals. And I think as pastors, it is uh, humbling how quickly we can forget that. Absolutely. And so, those of us here in America and the West, let's be praying. Be praying for the Iraqi Christians. Be praying for the Middle East. And uh, let's make sure we're doing our part for our brothers and sisters who are facing some real uh, persecution. So uh, that we felt like that was important. Uh, well, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, normally joined by Ian Simpkins, but Ian is out for the week, enjoying the summertime, enjoying some family time. So grateful to be joined again by Dan Ehrman uh, sitting in. And we are excited to be joined on the phone right now 
by Aaron Shoes. Darren, thank you so much for joining us today. Brian, Dan, my pleasure. My honor. Thank you. Absolutely. Just some background on Aaron. Aaron uh, is well known for such hits as My Hope Is In You, uh, No One Higher, Ever Be. And if, you, uh, if you're if you aware uh, you know at all of Christian music, you know Aaron well. Uh, and we're having him on because he's going to be in concert at Trinity Lutheran Church in Tinley Park on Friday, September the 27th. And tickets are already available at iTickets. Dot com. It's a small venue, just 500 people. We're going to talk a little bit about that, but just kind of an intimate show. Uh, but Aaron, before we get to the concert, you and Dan and I were talking off air, uh, and I believe Dan asked you if you were on tour mode, and you said you're in a- album creation mode, uh, which I found really fascinating. So could you talk to us about that, just the process and where you're at right now? Yeah, well, the, that's, it's, a, it's an exciting process, uh, mm-hmm. and the process of album creation probably has so many facets in and of itself. You know, the thing that I was gonna I was gonna mention next was just the, the concept of um, of songwriting mm-hmm. uh, and therefore recording. It kind of feels like a time capsule. You know, you, you know, like maybe I, I think of high schools or city halls. They say, let's take a couple things from this year. We'll put it in the time capsule. We'll bury it underground, and a hundred years from now, we'll open it up again and see what <laughs> life was like. Sometimes you write a song. Um, in the middle of what life was like, and you uh, you work on it for a few months, and eventually you get around to maybe I'll record this, and then you do, and then the whole that whole process takes months. And by the time people hear it, you know you you've moved out of that season. But it's a legitimate time capsule for where your heart was and what God was speaking to you then. So even if you've moved on as an artist, yeah, um, someone's in that place, and someone needs to hear that today. Wow. So that's kind of where I am right now. I just finished the final mixes yesterday, so. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Um, just posted yesterday that it's kind of like all the songs are finished. All the sounds are in the right place. So the mixing process is like getting all the levels right and the volumes, making sure that something's not louder than something else. It's not supposed to be. Yeah. Um, so we just need one more coat of polish <laughs> mastering. You know, yes. the table's been built. It's been stained. It just needs that polish. There you go. And then it'll, it'll be ready. Oh, that's awesome. With your uh, next upcoming album, how many songs are you expecting to be on it? Uh, there's going to be 11. Uh, in all fairness, there's 10, and then one is a live version of one of the 10. So 11 tracks, um, and, 10. And when you put together an album, do you intend it to be kind of consumed as singles or as like an album piece or kind of both? Kind of both. I'm such a fan of the album. Mm. So. Even even as I, one of my favorite things to do is sequence the album, which means simply put it in the in the best order possible. And as a worship leader, I'm always thinking of what's the song that people need to hear first. So I, I definitely cater for the people, those <laughs> those few people left on this planet who actually listen to track one, <laughs> yes. track eleven, or whatever it is. Um, but I also realized that um, for the past ten years or so, we've moved into a, a single. Yeah. Uh, as far as consumption and saying, oh, I like this guy. I'm going to buy track six because I like track six. Or do we even buy music anymore? People no. are streaming now. So. Yeah. Right. But but in all in all fairness, I mean, people, there are, <laughs> get this, this is a good story. I met <laughs> a, a 20, I don't know, I'm going to guess, 20, 21 year old uh, guy who came to my concert last year, excuse me, last week. And he, uh, at the signing table afterwards, he handed me a CD for me to sign. He couldn't figure out how to open it. <laughs> and, I, and I said, I said, I forget his name. I'm going to say Dustin. I was like, Dustin, is this your first CD you've ever purchased? And he just kind of like quietly shook his head. Yes. I'm like, congratulations. (laughs) I had fun. I I explained this is this round thing. You have to make sure that the shiny part is down. I'm explaining the whole thing because, um, but, but there's so much, uh, you know, so many other people who they're they're not going to touch 
iTunes. You're not going to touch digital because why would I touch? Why would I purchase something I can't actually yeah. touch? So it's you have to you have to do the singles, but not worry so much. Like you know, I'll stop talking here. You can tell I'm excited about this. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, like this, I think this album stylistically and maybe even thematically is more diverse than like within itself hmm. than any other album of 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 put together. And I think going back to that time capsule thing, I don't feel guilty about it because like this song, I wrote a song uh, as my uncle well, two years ago was passing away. Uh, and aside from a miracle, he was going to pass on into the next life. And I wrote a song about that. And mm. the, um, it's not a worship song, but it's, it's all of my songs draw attention to who God is. They, they magnify God. They take, you can't, we can't make God any bigger than he already is, but we can get a closer look as if looking through a telescope. And that's what I try to do in my songs. Oh, that's awesome. So I'm wondering, uh, this might be a both and, but uh, what do you enjoy more? The, the creating process, the writing process, or the performing and the, and the doing shows and being on tours? Or one that you gravitate more, one, gravitate more than the I, other? I think probably uh, the recording process would, t- would take first place because there's so much hope. Um, when you're in the writing process, there, there's, there's a lot of excitement and there's a lot of desire for potential for, for it to stir people's souls and meet them where they need to be met. Um, it, it feels like a vetting process because you end up right. I mean, for me, I don't know, maybe for every 30 or 40 songs, um, you know, five of them might survive to the recording process. Mm-hmm. You have this sense of these are the top. This is the cream of the crop. And, and yet people still haven't delivered their opinion. They haven't critiqued it yet. So you still have nothing but hope for these, this cream of the crop. And, and all of a sudden it goes from an idea on an on a out-of-tune acoustic guitar. Mm-hmm. And now it's sounding really good. Now there's background vocals. Now there's strings. Now, now it's sounding like it's an, an actual song. Uh, the mm-hmm. performing process, uh, or, or part of the whole process, um, is definitely the most frightening because now you're the most exposed. There's a chance that you can sing out of tune. There's a chance that the the house system will collapse. There's a a chance that your strings will break. There's a chance that people won't like it. And so that's, um, that's always a little frightening, which is why, again, as a worship leader, I have to make sure that, and this works well with the songs that I write, my audience is God and I'm worshiping him. People want to join in. They're welcome to, um, but that's that keeps cool. it a holy. That, that keeps the performance less of a performance for me. I get that I'm standing on stage, singing in a microphone, yeah, yeah. spotlight on my face, so that's kind of awkward. But I'm, I'm. This is it's a worshipful, holy experience for me. Oh, that's awesome! So uh, we want to make sure to pub this concert that's coming up Friday, September 27th at Trinity Lutheran Church here in Tinley Park. Uh, so people who. Um, may consider going uh it's like we said it's a small venue 500 people up close and a personal experience maybe paint a picture for what people could experience what they're going to experience if they come to that concert on that night sure yeah i I often travel with a full band this will not be one of those cases my drummer will come with me and he plays more things than any human should play at one time (laughs) but it's not it's 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 interesting i think for the people who are uh, interested in music he's, he's enjoyable to watch we have a great time on stage together um, but, uh, he, he sits on a little cajon, which is like a square little box. Yeah. It sounds like drums and he has a tambourine attached to his left foot, but I promise you, it doesn't look like a one man band. It's just <laughs> a full sound for two people on stage. Um, and, and I think by the nature of, of the, of the intimate setting and, and by the nature of it being a, a concert as opposed to a worship experience, there'll be some stories that we'll tell in between and, and, uh, it'll, it'll feel like a big living room. Hopefully that's always the goal. 
Well, as a reminder, that concert is taking place Friday, September the 27th at Trinity Lutheran Church in Tinley Park. Uh, Tickets are available at itickets.com. That's itickets.com. And uh, it says here they're very excited to bring Aaron to Trinity again for a small venue, up close, personal experience. Aaron, uh, thank you so much for joining us. This was really fun, kind of pull back the curtain and know about the process and how all this works. This has been really enjoyable. Thanks for joining us. Oh, man, my pleasure. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Dan. Yep, have a great day. Again, uh, that was Aaron Shoes. His concert is Friday, September 27th at Trinity Lutheran Church in Tinley Park. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.